Today's episode has three major topics that I'm going to discuss. The first one is going to be pain management and what to do if you're experiencing pain in the movements that you're performing and how to navigate your way through this rather annoying situation. The second topic I'm going to touch on is caffeine and some of the health concerns or supposed health concerns, but the main focus of this topic will generally be the sleep and the impact on sleep that caffeine has. I'll also touch on how to use caffeine as a performance-enhancing supplement, the dosage and timing of caffeine as a supplement for performance. And then lastly, I've got a more light-hearted topic that I'm going to leave as a as a bit of a cliffhanger here and not let you know what it's about and hopefully you'll have a bit of a laugh when you get to it later in the show. Welcome to Fitness for Fatherhood, the podcast helping first-time fathers find the time to regain their health and fitness to become the superhero dads their kids look up to. I'm Stacey Liddell, your host, a qualified personal trainer, two-time amateur physique competitor, and a freshly minted dad. I firmly believe that a healthy body and mind are the cornerstones to a fulfilling life. Get ready to gain actionable tools and strategies from real-life examples to take control of your health and fitness to become the superhero dad your kids can look up to. All right, so the first topic of today is talking about pain management and what to do when you are experiencing pain through a certain movement that you're doing. And this really depends on what you're doing the movement for. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if you are somebody who's doing powerlifting and you have a powerlifting meet coming up and you're experiencing a bit of pain doing one of the three powerlifting movements, let's for example use the squat. And let's say you are training your squats and it's uncomfortable when you're training and you're experiencing a bit of pain. The problem here is that because the movement is a part of the sport that you would be competing in, it's very difficult to find an alternative that's going to be able to replace the squat training that you're going to need to perform at your highest level for a competition or a meet. So in that situation, the best thing to try and do is to make that movement as tolerable as possible. And this is really, really you being stuck in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. So it really is tough when the sport that you compete in is dependent on a movement. On the other hand, if you are doing weight training as just part of a general fitness routine, the solution here that I suggest is a lot easier to work through um, because you don't necessarily have to do the movement for any performance basis. You can generally swap the movement out. There are so many different variations or different exercises that you can do that if you're experiencing pain through a certain movement, it's best to try and move away from that movement and figure out what is causing pain. And if you're unable to do so, maybe not to go back to that movement. Um, a good example from my own personal experience, last year, no, this year sometime, I experienced some pain in my right shoulder. I woke up the one morning and any pressing movements that I did I had this weird sort of pinch in my shoulder. I'm not actually too sure what happened. And every time I tried tra training a pushing chest movement and sometimes even some shoulder movements, I would have this pinching sensation in my right shoulder. And I essentially stopped training 
my pushing movements for my chest. And I think it was for two or three months. That's how long it took for the pain to go away. And I wonder if maybe I didn't have a pinched nerve in my in my shoulder somewhere. And as a result, I was able to focus on some of the other body parts. And then once the pain subsided enough, I returned to pressing movements on my chest. And I haven't experienced any pain since then. So that's a good example of when it's time to step away and change your training if you're experiencing pain. I guess there's also the consideration of emotional attachment. Um, For me, for example, I really, really love doing flat bench press. And it was tough for me to step away from doing that. And I just knew if I kept on doing bench press, the injury in my shoulder was going to take longer and longer to heal. And even though I had that emotional attachment to the exercise, I didn't want to cause long-term damage. And so if you do have an emotional attachment to the exercise, maybe something you can do is speak to a physio if you have the means to consult with a physio and try and work through the movement and figure out what it is that's causing the pain. And I guess for those of you competing in sports that are experiencing pain in your movements, like powerlifters with your squat, like I used in the first example, it's also a good a good idea to work with a, a physio and try to make these movements as tolerable as possible. And so essentially, I guess what I'm saying here is before you decide what you're going to do when you're experiencing some pain with a movement that you're doing, it's important to understand the why of choosing the exercises that you do. And if it's tied in to a sport that you're competing in, like I said, it's going to be a process of managing the injury and the pain and trying to find a comfortable way of doing it. Maybe you can change the variation and make it a little bit more accessible for you to do that movement. And uh, if you're just someone who's a general athlete, I'm sure you can find ways to swap it out and get the exact same muscular stimulus that you're going for. And yeah, that's the end of the first topic, a nice short and sweet one today. The second thing I want to talk about today is caffeine and the impacts caffeine can have on your health. I know that in the past, there was a lot of concern about caffeine and its impact on heart health. Uh, From what I can understand, I had a read over the literature from many years ago, and it did seem like there were confounding problems in those earlier research studies. It seemed like the researchers didn't really take into account take into account the other lifestyle factors that a lot of caffeine users were experiencing, such as smoking. So there's a massive correlation between people who drink a lot of caffeine and people that smoke. And I guess both nicotine and caffeine are stimulants, so the people who enjoy the stimulant effect of caffeine are also going to enjoy the stimulant effect of nicotine. And so not counting the fact that these people were also smoking a lot as well as consuming coffee kind of makes that data a bit messy to say that it's actually the caffeine causing the heart problems. Um, I think nowadays the researchers nowadays the researchers are a lot more aware of these confounding factors and it seems like there is actually a safe level of caffeine to consume and I'm going to talk about that a bit today um, because caffeine does actually have a lot of protective benefits 
And I think it's important to understand that with a moderate use of caffeine, you can derive not only health benefits, but also performance benefits in the gym. And um, if there's time today, I want to talk about, once I've gone through the health benefits of caffeine and how to use it, maybe can talk about how to dose and how much to dose and the timing of it and all those things if you're looking to use caffeine as a performance-enhancing supplement. All right, so one thing to take note of is that there is a huge variability between individuals and how they metabolize caffeine. And that's something that's important to know. Some people, it will take them two to three hours to break down coffee to half the amount. So the half-life for them could be two or three hours. And other individuals, it could be as high as 12 hours. So that is a massive, massive difference. Um, It's also important to note that certain food types will also slow down your caffeine metabolism. Some examples that jump readily to mind are things like char-grilled beef, as well as grapefruit juice, and also cruciferous vegetables. These three things are just examples of food and drink that can slow down the metabolism of caffeine. That's something to take into account, especially if you're somebody who drinks caffeine later in the day. If you're having it with certain food types, it's going to be a slower breakdown of that caffeine in your body, which means it could affect your sleep. And that's kind of the main focus of what I want to talk about when it comes to caffeine and health. Um, There's a huge impact that caffeine has on sleep. And, you know, I know many people out there that are drinking upwards of five or six cups of coffee to try and stay active and alert and focused during their workday. And if you're one of these types of people who is relying on that much caffeine, I can promise you it's going to be very difficult to get through your night with a good night's rest. As I mentioned earlier, this is due to the half-life of caffeine, which on average for most people is about five to seven hours. It can be shorter, it can be longer. But the problem that also results from this is that the quarter life of caffeine is roughly about 12 hours. So to put this into perspective, if you're having a cup of coffee at lunchtime, a quarter of that caffeine is still going to be in your system at midnight. To put it another way, that essentially means you're drinking a quarter cup of coffee at 12 o'clock at night, which obviously is going to have deleterious effects on your sleep. I'm somebody who metabolizes caffeine relatively quickly. I've done the genetic testing and I've got the genes that help me to metabolize coffee quite quickly. And so I know the whole story of being able to smash down a cup of coffee before going to bed. This is something that I used to do regularly when I was younger. And it was only until I started tracking my sleep and the quality of my sleep using my whoop band as a wearable that I realized that caffeine was having a massive impact on the quality of my sleep. So from a subjective point of view, I never felt as if drinking caffeine later in the day was affecting my sleep until I started tracking it. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is just because you feel like you're able to get to sleep after having a cup of coffee does not mean that the quality of your coffee, the quality of your sleep, my apologies, isn't suffering. And I'm certainly not the only person 
to have experienced this ability to sleep after a cup of coffee. I see tons of comments online and people getting quite defensive when suggesting that they can fall right asleep after drinking a cup of coffee. And whenever I ask these people if they're tracking their sleep with a wearable, the answer is almost always no. So if you're unable to monitor your sleep and see the difference that the caffeine's making, I'm not sure how you can make the bold claim that the caffeine that you're drinking late in the day isn't affecting your sleep. And the main problem here is it's not just affecting your sleep in a random pattern. High caffeine amounts in the system when you go to bed is going to affect your REM sleep and your deep sleep the most. And those are probably the two most important parts of the sleep cycle that you don't really want to be messing with. The REM sleep is really, really great for restoring the the brain and also with the storage of memories and things like that. And the deep sleep is that restful sleep that you're going to get. So you'll have a lot more light sleep if you're drinking a lot of caffeine later in the day. Another thing that I noticed when I was a big coffee drinker, especially later in the day, was that I got into times of negative feedback loops. So I'd wake up feeling a bit tired because I hadn't had a good night's rest because I'd had too much caffeine the day before. And then to try and get out of that slump, I would rely on caffeine to wake me up and basically go deeper into the hole and try to go to sleep and get a full night's rest with more caffeine in the system. And as you can see, that cycle can repeat on top of itself and get worse and worse until you really kind of burning out at some point. So if my story relates to you and if you find yourself relying on caffeine to feel awake and to feel alert every single day and you feel like you're pounding down more than sort of the three to five cups a day that are recommended by most of the research, you might want to think about reducing the coffee that you're drinking in total, especially if you're drinking it later in the day. Something that I'm actually going to pilot pretty soon is I'm going to try and stop drinking coffee by 10 o'clock in the morning. I think I'm going to have maybe one or two cups a day. I'm currently stopping around about half past one latest, and I want to see if moving that back a bit is going to have a positive impact on my sleep and my rest. There are two more smaller points that I'd like to touch on before moving on to the final topic of today's episode. And that is to try and avoid caffeine in the first 60 to 90 minutes after waking up. And I know some of you are going to think I'm absolutely crazy here, but it's actually recommended that you avoid caffeine for the first hour and a half or two hours in the morning. Maybe what you can do is you can slowly start pushing that window back. And the reason being here is that your morning hormones, especially your cortisol hormones, they are going to naturally spike. And that is going to cause you to wake up over the course of the first hour, hour and a half, maybe even two hours. So if you're taking caffeine, you're kind of overriding that natural waking system. And something that you can maybe try as well is instead of going for a caffeinated beverage, you can try a salt-rich drink instead. If you're anything like me, I really struggle to drink a big fluid intake at the start of the day, but this can really do wonders for your hydration levels because we do dehydrate in the evenings while we sleep. And so what I'm trying to do, something that I've started recently, 
is trying to drink a minimum of 500 mils to a liter of water in the morning with about a half a teaspoon of sea salt. And the reason why I'm using the sea salt is our neurons require potassium, magnesium, and sodium to function properly. And I get my potassium and magnesium from my food sources. And so I like to just add a bit of sodium in the morning. And I've really found this to be a great way to get a lot of my water intake in early in the day. And it's a good way to stabilize energy instead of relying on the caffeine. There's a lot of companies right now that are are using this and leveraging the demand for these kind of drinks. I think one popular one that I can think of is Element. And that's something that I might try in the future. But right now I'm using the very cost-effective mechanism of just using some sea salt and water in the morning. And I tend to drink it uh, at room temperature. I find that when water is too cold in the morning, it makes it even more difficult for me to drink. And then the final note on coffee, as I did promise, I have some recommendations about dosage and timing if you're going to want to use caffeine for performance. And the real performance benefit seems to come or accrue to those who are performing endurance-based activities. And so your dosage from the literature is about 5 or 6 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So as an example, let's use a nice round number. If you weigh 100 kilograms, your hit of caffeine is going to be in the 500 to 600 milligram range, which sounds exorbitant, and it is. And so if you are using caffeine for performance boost, I would recommend that you only use it in that in that one massive dose and don't drink it or consume it throughout the day. You're going to want to take this all in at one go, like I mentioned. And so if you're not used to taking such a huge amount of caffeine in one go, just be aware that there can be some side effects, especially, you know, jitteriness and those kinds of things. So if this is something you haven't done before, you might want to test your tolerance first before diving into a massive dose of caffeine that you cannot tolerate. Uh, Secondly, in terms of timing, uh, this again is subject to variability because having different stomach contents and things like that will change the rate at which you can ingest and use the caffeine. But in most cases, I recommend that you ingest the caffeine 45 to 60 minutes before you do your training. And that's kind of normally the peak of when the caffeine will be at its at its strongest and its best. So hopefully that dosage guideline and timing guideline can help you to utilize caffeine for your training. Obviously, if this is something you want to try out, maybe try it on a day where you're able to train earlier in the day because if you're taking a huge dose of caffeine, you don't want to dysregulate your sleep and your circadian rhythm cycle by ingesting it later in the day just to try and get a boost in your training. And the final topic of today, and it's something that I thought I'd like to include just to end off with something a little bit more lighthearted. I recently came across some research (laughs) with uh, cardiovascular exercise and how it can help you to overcome erectile dysfunction. So there was a meta-analysis that came out sometime in October. And it is pointing to the fact that people who are healthier, leaner, fitter, and all those kinds of things, and obviously cardio is a way 
to improve the chances of being leaner and fitter. People who are leaner and fitter tend, or not people, men that are leaner and fitter, tend to have fewer problems in the bedroom when it comes to keeping your Johnson at attention. And uh, so I guess with the current obesity problem that we are seeing across developed nations, this could be a really great incentive for getting guys and encouraging men to go to the gym and work on their fitness and getting them leaner. I think it could be a pretty impactful campaign if the health authorities or the governments that pump money into trying to get people to exercise would focus in on the things that are emotionally powerful and attractive to various groups. And for men, erectile dysfunction is a very sensitive and uncomfortable topic and it can cause a lot of shame and guilt for men. So if it is something that you're struggling with, and I know it does impact a lot of older men, and as fathers we typically nowadays tend to be a bit older, so if it is something that is ruffling your feathers and you're struggling with it, rather than reaching for the normal prescription, which is pills and drugs to try and improve your performance, how about establishing a fitness routine and getting fitter and especially working on your cardiovascular health as it helps you know pump blood around the body more effectively and efficiently as your heart grows stronger. So yeah, something just to think of and something a little bit more light-hearted to end on today. And I hope that you enjoyed the contents of today's episode and that there are some practical takeaways for you. And keep striving to be a better version of yourself. Of yourself. And I hope that you can become the superhero dad that your kids look up to, as is the mantra of this show. Until next time, stay safe and stay fit. Cheers.